0: So instead of buying single family homes, we started buying two families and three families, and that really worked. However, it worked, except the point it wasn't largely scalable, right? you having a bunch, 50 duplexes around town, it just seemed like a logistical nightmare. So we were buying a couple of them. We just kept asking that question, what else is there?
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek, Go Create. Tim Wenders, your host here. This is going to be a great day. I get to talk real estate and business and some fun things related to that. This is the place where we challenge conventional definitions of success and explore stories of transformation related to leadership, business, and ministry. And I think we're going to be heavy in business and real estate today. So we have the pleasure of interviewing Jason Urusi, They're a real estate syndicator and investor. He works with his wife, Pili, and they're the founder of Yurusi Holdings. Currently, they're a multi-investment firm and they've acquired, I think these are the numbers that I've got, over 2,000 units since 2016. So a lot going on there. They've got a strategic approach we're going to talk about. They've got some training that they do. There's a lot of cool things that we're going to discuss. Jason, welcome to Seek Go Create.
0: Thank you. Excited to be here.
1: I'm excited that you're here too, Jason. Let's let's get started. Pretend we meet and have just met, sure. and I ask you what you do. What do you tell people when they ask what you do?
0: For most importantly, father of three and husband, and that stands paramount because everything leads to that decision. But I'm a private fund manager for over just about three hundred million dollars in commercial real estate.
1: I love the father, and I'm with you. I like to kind of give the the foundational things of who I am spiritually. And now I'm a grandfather too, by the way, so that I add that in and that's the coolest job ever. Just so you know, tell me a little bit about the family before we get rolling, because I'm going to really dig into the private fund manager and things. And so I want the listener to know that we're going to do a deep dive into multifamily investing and really do some one-on-one and maybe even a little more advanced here, because most folks know I've got a little bit of a background in real estate. So I love talking it and yeah, seeing how it fits in with the economy and how it fits in with us. But tell me about the tell me about the kids and and Peely and the wife and all that.
0: I've had a very non-traditional path to where we stand today. However, one thing that's been paramount is is my wife Peely. Right, we met in 2003. It took me about a decade to get her to look my way before we became a couple. As so the easiest route forward. And on that point, we were each making our own decisions, some good and some bad. But we found our way, and with that. We started going in the direction that was serving to us at that time. And we decided in a moment that he got pregnant with our first kiddo. And uh, we have three now, eight, six, and four, Luke, Lily, and Leo. And that started to set the stage of a lot of the genesis what led us into commercial real estate. We were looking for a way to really get back and control our day. And many go through a day with the day controlling them. And then they get to the end of the day and say, I'm never going to do this again. Just And they wake up, they find themselves in traffic the next day, rushing out the door, not prepared, right? And that's the evolution. You look back a decade or two from now, you say, man, what just happened? Right. And we had that in our mind that everything we were doing was transactional basis. I had opened restaurants, I'd opened of brewery, i had opened bars, I'd run bars, I'd done a number of different things. And then Hurricane Sandy happened on the East Coast, decimated the East Coast. My dad had just retired, but he had this very unique business that lives and moves homes, right? So you think about that, no, most people don't know it until all of a sudden it's flooding everywhere. Then they do know it. However, he would do six, eight, 10 projects a year, right? Maybe for foundation issues or just moving something for historical reasons or setback issues and flooding. So his business goes from a couple calls a month to a thousand calls a day, every day. And just him, my mom, a couple employees and my brother and Peely working with me and for me in the city here and myself, we said, okay, this is a very interesting time. Let's go help dad. So we basically pipped up, moved out of New York City, moved over to New Jersey, and spent the next couple of years really helping Dad. We did about almost three thousand projects. It was very crazy and very busy. So you're looking at six to eight to three thousand. It was quite a jump in in just what we were doing. However, the business itself, why it was very helpful and very solved a lot of problems for people trying to get them back in their homes. Here, it's it was very risky, right? You're lifting a home, right? There's a ton of things. that always go wrong. So it wasn't something you could scale and put other people in and say, hey, go try this out, come do this, right? Because you're really, they say in the industry, you're about a 25 cent fitting from destruction. And that's just the truth. So it was highly involved to the point that everybody had to be active. And with this, bringing a family in, I'd seen my dad work very hard his whole life. And really, if you have something at a point, the job needs to take till midnight. From a safety reason, you got to take till midnight, right? So the day was driving you. And so we had just come off, really a restaurant where you're working for tips. You're always, you're always a part of transactions. To the point of what can we do to chart, start really with the journey to get back some of our time. So we thought we did what was logical. Peeley, pregnant, went and got a real estate license. We started flipping homes and doing these old big projects. And we found we're still helping dad in the construction business. Lo and behold, we start having less time, right? We're so busy. We're doing all these things, we, you know, run old people. You're just doing thing after thing to get to that next stage. And we said, okay, this is doing good, but it's not really meeting all the needs. Right. Now we're into that format two years down the road, POE. Now having our second child, she meets someone at a real estate event who's doing rentals out of state. And that was that kind of light bulb. Oh, that's interesting, right? Cause we have had a big managerial background. We had done a lot of things, putting together teams and we could keep ourselves involved. It's like a thousand miles away. I couldn't drive out there if I needed something from Home Depot. I had to solve the problem. So instead of buying single family homes, we started buying two families and three families and that really worked. However, it worked except the point it wasn't largely scalable, right? You're having a bunch, of 50 duplexes around town, it just seemed like a logistical nightmare. So we were buying a couple of them. And we just kept asking that question, what else is there? And I was listening to a great podcast just like this, came upon someone buying large multifamily. And that was that light bulb where I was like, man, I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't even just understand it. So we started really unpacking that. That was the full circle of everything we were looking for all together, but it was just that question of seek what you want, go after what you need, and then create the outcome. Found people doing it. How are you doing this? Followed their model, used something called syndication, where we basically pull resources from investors, and brought our first building, a 94 unit, just right at, through 2016, right into 2017. And that was the evolution to, we're coming on the upside to actually get ourselves almost to about 3,000 units that we've purchased today.
1: Wow, that's good, and you—that's a great job of giving a synopsis of the timeline and the story. So, really, the the multifamily aspect of your career started in sixteen-ish. Is that about right?
0: Yeah, if you include the small ones, two thousand late fourteen and the fifteen. However, that was us understanding that, and then saying this really works, and trying to say, okay, like how do you, can you do this bigger?
1: And I know you mentioned you were in Jersey, but it, aren't you Nashville now? Did you go to another
0: market? So we first started out, we actually didn't buy our rentals even around New Jersey, right? It was all the flips and all the other activity, wholesales, Airbnbs, all there. We ended up, our first rentals were in Indiana. Then we sold those off and we started picturing and just learning how to really dive in the markets. And so we came upon Louisville, Kentucky. My sister was the only family member who lived out of state. She lives in Louisville. Right, And she had been there 10 plus years, and like we knew the market, and we started understanding what are all the drivers that bring people to the market, right? So from a job side, you have uh, UPS, G.E, Humana, the Churchill Downs, the Yum Center, you have, of course, it's been a minute. Amazon facility, all these different reasons why workforce housing continue to resist, continue to consist there. We invested just in a certain region, the South side and the South side submarkets. A lot of B and C garden style buildings, right? That you can't really replace today. They had no new inventory coming on, very low vacancy in the area. And we really focused on building a team just in that area. So we didn't go shock and approach. We just said, okay, we're going to focus in that area. So we stayed there almost two and a half years, brought a couple, maybe four or 500 units there before we started going into other markets. So we were still in New Jersey at that time. We started now really understanding our model, building out our business plan, having proof of concept. And then now replicating that in other markets. And then right at the end of 2020, we ended up deciding that we were going to leave New Jersey and just try somewhere else out, right? There's a ton of the world out there. Let's go see what's out. Plus with the kids, they're still young and they're in their schooling, but then really with COVID, they're kind of there, kind of not. They didn't didn't know what we're doing. We didn't know what we're doing. It was the perfect time. So we looked at a bunch of markets. We had just brought a 93 unit here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where we are today. And we're like, let's just go. I peeled my wife; she'd never even been in Tennessee. I, of course, have been there because of our property. So I was like, worse that happens, we move back, we just move somewhere else. That was our really our downfall. So we moved here; It's been tremendous. It's been fantastic. So we love it, and that's been a carry forward to where we stand today.
1: Yeah, I think there seems like a lot of people that in that twenty twenty time frame made some. It's not even drastic to me. Remember, I'm a guy that's been a nomad for 10 years, so it's, moving around is not a big deal. But with the COVID thing, it's like, you know what? This seems like a good time to make a shift, pivot, change, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. And uh, I I think sometimes we need a nudge like that. Do you think y'all would have moved had it not been for something like COVID?
0: We would have because we said we're going to move. However, it accelerated that timeline okay. and it makes it, it you, most of us, to make change. We need permission. And that's the hardest thing to get. And sometimes we have to find it ourselves. But many times there's something outside of us that garners us the permission to do it, whether good or bad. And on that part, you use that permission, right? But you have to really act in that. So we had the plan, right? Where we would be today because we're two years from where that plan is, right? But many times we forecast these plans out, with the point like i i was sitting there in the barber the other day and the guy's i'm gonna start a business in five years he's talking to the barber right and he's like in five years right he's i got kids are teenagers teenager and young kids i just want them to get a little bit older and i'll start it and my mind is thinking like it does you don't get more time back in five years right and ideally it gets harder and harder like the guy looked to be like close maybe like in his mid 40s to 50s like that you're just gonna have less and less energy although you can set up these plans for the future really, they're going to evolve so much. To tell you a decade ago, I'm doing what I am today. I'd be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm in the, I'm in the restaurant. I'm in this world. I'm over here. I don't even hear you. So me setting these future plans, I keep myself on a direction, but you're going to pivot. You're going to pivot accordingly for things that one may just happen or just life events, but two, your goals change, right? We set goals that are sometimes we think is where our vision goes. However, the goal becomes at least our, we'll say, our light, right, our lighthouse for where we're heading. However, we'd be like, okay, I see I'm on that path. Those goals are fine now, but I have new goals. I have bigger goals. I have more goals that are going to benefit now my kids as they grow. And That's really how I continue to look forward at where we're going here is that I can think of where I want to be in the future, but if I was to use that mentality five years ago, it wouldn't have gotten me to the decisions that have made us to where we are today.
1: I've kind of come to this realization and I look back on life. I turned 60 here in a couple months. So wow. maybe I'm considering and looking at things in a different way because I've always been hard charger type A. I find myself relaxing a little bit more, which I think is a good thing, by the way. I think I've needed that. But I think back to some of the goal setting that I did in 90 or 88 when I came out of Georgia Tech. And if I were to read it, it was like 21 pages and it's, I'm going to do this and this. And it was highly controlled, highly a little bit maniacal, truthfully. And so I've actually loosened a little bit, but I want to circle back to your barber because I think there's a good learning tip there. I think what you and I are picking up on from the five-year thing, because some people say, what's wrong with having a goal of five years from now? Is because five years for him and for many people, it's so far in the future, it doesn't cause him to do anything activity-wise today. Would that Is that what what you're referring to?
0: so spot on. I actually saw a Nike advertisement, right? Nike doesn't sell shoes. They sell the emotion, right? And the Nike advertisement said, yesterday, you said today. And we always will say something about the future of where it is. However, when it comes, we say tomorrow, right? I'm sure myself included, we've said, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes. And then here we are a decade later, man, being like, I'm just not happy where I am. And you've been telling yourself to do something here and you get more stuck in your ways, right? Now, like you said, it is, it's easy to push off these things and say something in the future because there's no real downside to it, right? I'm saying this thing and it sounds good on paper, right? But there's no activity. However, the lessons come from trying, right? Failure has to happen or we wouldn't be standing here talking. We wouldn't be standing here walking. Like nothing, nothing would have happened in our life without failure. But the more ingrained we get, right? I think, what is it? It's a kid, they're born scared of like loud noises, right? And like the fear of falling or something like that. But that's it. Like everything else is learned, right? A learned behavior. So as you go forward through life, we learned all these reasons that we shouldn't do something, but most of it is just either the people we surround ourselves with or just the energy we take in. And that starts setting the stage for where we are. It's just hard to break those habits, right? Compared to the condition of the time. I look at my grandma, and she just wants to stay where she is, but she went through the Great Depression. She went through all these things, right? And like for her to say, Grandma, let's go try it. She has been in survival mode for a long time, right? And that was just how she grew through the part nothing, just six kids, just and then she had a raise, five daughters, including my mom, right? Who, without a husband, who was killed in war, right? She's been in that mode for a whole time. So if I say to my grandma, tell you, I got a great idea, She could go try this real big of it. She came comprehend two different sides of the story right? So we have to say the harder and the longer we go into this part, the harder it is to break our habits. But that's really the first part. If you don't like where you're going, doing the same thing is not going to create some different result tomorrow. And so you have to say, okay, wh- I can break something today. And what's the worst thing happens? You just stop it and go back to do what you're doing. Like usually the downfall is, we assume the downfall is us stepping out of a 10-story building, but most of the time it's just stepping off the curve. Like we're trying something, we're not, there's not some big jump here and everybody's going like, to, our family's going to disown us. and like, I'm going to just step off the curve right? Everything. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go do my own thing in business. You you quit your job. What's the worst happened? You go get another job. Like there's a lot of that out there that you can look at the future and set the stage where you want to go, but you have to bet on yourself first.
1: Yeah. I love that term bet on yourself. I want people to remember that bet on yourself, but I want to tie a couple of things together that I heard while you were just talking about that. And I love when we could bring grandma stories into Seek Go Create, because those are the lessons that we all should learn from. But I, here's what I heard when you were saying that we all have our own journey. Everybody's going through this journey. And Jason, one of the things we do here is we don't shy away. In fact, we even lean into our tagline, which is redefining success. Because my guess is if I did an interview with you 10 years ago and we discussed success, we would have had a, I'm sure your personality and some things would be similar, but there would be some different Results type things related to success. And then if we went back to 2003 before you even met Peely, it would have been even different then because you wouldn't probably be mentioning kids or wife or any of that kind of stuff. So I do think that we have to kind of redefine success as we go. And I've got this theory, so I'm just going to kind of mention it and then you could respond. I think that some people sit down and they literally can define what that success is going to look like. I'm going to in 2016 start a real estate company. And then five years later, we're going to have 3,000 units. We're going to be moving to Nashville, et cetera. I'm I'm being a little bit snarky with that. You could probably tell. But then I also think that there are times that external events, sometimes catalytic events, sometimes they really force us to make course corrections or redefine what success means. Now, when I bring that up, I really love some stories. Are there any of any times you could think back on and you've worked with family, you've gone through things that you've had to go through? Uh, ooh, I'm being read. My success is being redefined right now. Now, sometimes we don't know it till later. I'm that way. Correct. I didn't recognize yeah. it till five years later. So, ooh, this is where, from my spiritual standpoint, God was moving me in a direction, but I was fighting it. But now, man, I'm excited about it. So anything yep. come to mind when I bring that up?
0: Yeah, a lot, because what builds you today really is the challenges you face, right? If you've got to the point you've had no challenges, you're probably not going to where you want to be, or there's more that you're meant to accomplish, right? So I, I can speak to anything. Like a family business is not for the faint of heart. You put a bunch of Italians in the same room, right? It's even less. And my dad had been a solo shop for many years to so come in there and say, hey, we could just do this easier, right? Had do this easier in this Way. It's hey, you just keep trying to walk through the wall, we just use the door, but we're still because we've done it so long, we're still walking through the wall. And so, we had a, a very terse part. It was probably when I was in high school and college, probably a decade, my dad like didn't see him and he didn't talk to me. And it was just his point. And what evolved is it's hard to see that lesson to see where he, he didn't, he, it wasn't like he hated him or anything, it was just. He was trying to do something that was very difficult. And he that's his moment. He was trying to figure it out. Because I'm at that same age now. Where I'm that same side and the other side with kids. And just it helps teach me a lesson that like the kids are there. They're evolved. They're around. They understand that. They understand. They feel it too. So fast forward, we had a very tough time working together. We were all there for the common goal. And everybody meant for the same thing. And it was just continued to be very difficult. And we actually helped my dad to get to retire, which we thought would never come based on what he was doing there. And now over the course of the last year, it was just like, yeah, My dad, not emotional, Give me a hug the other day when he came to visit the kids. And it was, just, it, was, it was just a very, very shocking moment, right? It was just something that like just never been part of it, right? I come from the other side, really huge family, hundreds of family members. I just, you go to a wider and it's very, you know, like the family gets together and it wasn't really in that, right? So having that come full circle has been a great surprise, but it was a lesson learned about the path we were both on, right? Because you can be on side-by-side paths, heading in the right direction, but sometimes you're offline until you connect, right? And it serves a lot to even where I was in in New York City, right? I was working at a very popular busy bar, right? I was running the bar, I doing a lot of things and I'm just not happy. So I was very angry in this part here in just my place, Because, it, but it's sometimes when you're in a difficult moment, but you get more and more angry because you don't know exactly how to get out, but to get out is really just stop doing. And so that point here was yeah, I was at three, four in the morning, riding home on my bike. I didn't go with the way to the friends because I was just like, whatever. I was like, just angry at the moment, right? You find out why, who knows, right? You don't remember why. But at that moment, riding across New York City, over, hit right on 2nd Avenue. I'm all the way on the West Side Highway, if anybody knows there. So about 10 avenues that I've driven over. Hit it hard, but it's in the dark. All lonely soul. These lights come on, car veers out. Takes me, I flip on the hood of the car. I go flying. Next thing you know, it's dark and I just wake up. Some kids are yelling and I think French pull me out of the road, my, my my arms out of my socket, all these different things. And that car ends up driving off and then save me from that traffic. But it was that moment it was like, I gotta do something. Right. And it was that moment because as quick as it comes, as quick as it goes. And not to say it, my biggest driver was that I need to get back to work because that's how I make money. I had rent coming up. And so you look at that point, I find myself with a cast and other things. I'm back in this crazy bar, working in this crazy bar two days later, right? All cast up after this like cataclysmic event. However, it gave me that first thing, like pause. And sometimes, and I'm not to say you have to go through that event to get to a pause, but we get so stuck in our day managing from a restaurant, like, you're carrying all these plates, right? But you find out you're carrying all these plates and and only three of them have food on it, right? And that's where you need to part. And what's the worst that happens? Okay. You have to think about these plates I'm carrying, right? What happens if I just drop them all? You're going to find out what's most important. So today to talk to today, like we're in summer now, but say the kids are at school, right? Well, I got to pick them up from school. So if I had all these plates and I just dropped, not picking up the kids from school, there's going to be something of a consequence, right? But on the other side, right? If things get delayed and I can't call and say hi to my buddy, I can drop that for today. Cause it was more important. I get to have to get to the kids, right? Cause that's paramount. And when we look at our decisions, we think every decision is on that same plane of importance. But most of the time, there's really two or three that have to happen and the rest can fall. And if you can make sure those two or three decisions are helping you, whether it's something driving you forward. So think of any level, right? Family, finances, fitness, faith, you put it wherever you want to be. That is going to help you understand how to be your better version of yourself. Mm.
1: The neat thing about that is that we don't wish for events like being on a bike, getting hit by a car. But yet, 20 years later, or however many years later, you're on a podcast, some guy in an RV is asking you questions. That's one of the things you draw from. Sure. That has given you the catalyst or decision-making skill, whatever, to be where you are today. And I think that's the cool serendipities of life. I don't even know if that's the right term, but. And when you brought up, when you mentioned growing up in an Italian family and being in business together, being in a construction business together, the first thought that I had, <laughs> the thought, the and you mentioned y'all are not probably peaceful and quiet. My dad was a very quiet man. We grew up in the South and we would like just sit around very quiet. I envisioned the scene from Saturday Night Fever where Tony, I think, is sitting at the dinner table with a cloth around him and he's got his hair fixed up to go to the disco. And it is just like an all out war at the dinner table. So that wasn't your family, was it? That wasn't
0: the way all <laughs> family businesses. And if you are thinking about working with friends and family is that, and especially if you say you've worked at maybe a nine to five or some kind of W2 job, you there's, it's a very difficult thing to not bring work home. And if you work from home, it's another thing, but in the other part, if your partner is your wife or your friend, it's hard to have that break. Cause it's not a clean divide. I don't like clock out at five and go home. So. It's never easy. And I would see it most of why I didn't help and go into the business when I was young was just for that reason. It just came back and just the feeling, the experience wasn't welcoming or something to be involved with. However, we made the choice. My brother was working for me. He's a decade younger than me in the city. We were doing all kinds of like really busy, cool things and fun things at the time. And we were like, we got to go help dad. And that was just a choice we made. And we just dropped, just said, Hey, listen, thank you, everyone. We're here to support. Just moved out there. Not to say that I, my brother is very knowledgeable in the construction space. He can do all kinds. He's moved 500 ton buildings. Like he is out there. I would do really the office, the sales side to say that I knew anything what I was coming into. Right. And I I didn't, but I knew we're going to go help. And then that kind of gave us the empowerment to say, okay, we'll figure this out and everything will be okay. And it was tough for the time. But when you look back, those tough times are what you need for when you need them. It just, you have to find your way out of them that can get you to where you want to be.
1: Yeah, and sometimes those tough times help us appreciate where we're at right now. Oh, yeah. Also, I want to ask, I want to transition and start discussing some multifamily, some real estate things, but I want to transition with this question because I someone might be listening in here going, oh, restaurant business, family business that had some construction. Now we're doing multifamily, we're doing fund management, things like that. Those seem to not mesh well. However." Because I work with leadership teams executives, and all that what I found is that things fit together for reasons and so what I'd love to ask as we move into the real estate discussion is what are some of the skills lessons learned tips things you bring brought forward from the restaurant industry industry which is a very unique and odd industry in itself that was a very niche specific industry that your dad and your family was in and then bringing it in now to you're dealing with investors your Teaching, training people, you're working with multifamily. What are some skill sets that you brought forward or that was healthy for you to bring forward?
0: Well, that's a fantastic question. Because and when, when you frame it like that, right, it was over the evolution of over two decades to get to that stage, right? I, I had a finance degree, funny enough, at a school. I chose to go into the arts from there into restaurants and bars, right? However, you'll learn how to optimize businesses, right? I learned very quickly. I had a 12 seat restaurant and the outside bar, you get have 5,000 people on a Saturday, right? However, it's the same model, same thing. People are going to show up, you have to give them good service. You have to meet supply and demand, right? You have to have a balance of what's going to be something of a driver to keep people there to market accordingly, right? However, under the small restaurant, dinner's only five to eight, five to seven, six to eight, right? So you, there's only so many times I'm going to turn 12 seats. With the other side of it, right? There, potentially there's more risk, but I still have the same building, the same fixed assets, the same cost, and I can have the opportunity to grow into the space, or really maximizing the value, and it can turn a lot more tickets and do a lot more revenue. So that led us a lot into what we look for construction. And really, we're setting the set the stage is that to get to the volume of doing six to eight deals a year, and where my dad was doing the start to doing hundreds in a year from that part. We had to get very even with the battles, internal battles. We had to get very efficient with the model and really optimize the teams to be able to do that and. As we transition into the real estate space, it's that same thing, right? You have to have a way that you can work in a systematic way where it can be clean and clear based on what you're going after, right? Our Louisville, right? We did this. Apartment buildings, so 75 to 150 units. BC assets, right? Garden-style apartment buildings built between 1970 and 2010, anywhere between about 3 and $7 million on a purchase price in the south side of Louisville. All we did. For the first couple of years. That was it. That was our business model. We're still in similar business models, just really in the different spaces now. But we got very clear in our approach so we could be systematic with how we could evolve, where we had to look at that and say, oh, okay, if that's our approach, is there two of these buildings or is thousands of these? There was dozens, hundreds of these buildings there in those areas. So we were able to grow into that space. And then we were able to build teams both internally, right, who knew our message. And from the external, property managers, brokers, bankers, right that we knew fit that model. So we were under able to understand that. But then the other part is say, what can you take away from a beneficial stage is that sometimes if you're in one spot, you just talk to like kind people to yourself. And I have worked with, worked for, and owned restaurants and had employees of every different landscape, every different nationality, in a restaurant, every different language, every different skill set every different education level. So you start to understand just really the people's ability of how to empower them in the right way. And then also understand how to talk to people efficiently where it can benefit on both parties. And if you're on a common goal, right? Lots of times you're just making sure we're all in the right seat, right? As we hear a lot out there to get to that goal and putting people around you. So that's really helped me understand people where I would be making decisions that in the past, as I was growing through this, that I knew was right, but for me, right? So I knew this was a restaurant, but I know how to do this, right? And have to learn how to make decisions for the team where the team can be empowered to help the path forward. And if I'm out there doing 100% of the things, right? And because I know I can do them best and you hear this a lot, is that there's a hundred things to do. I get six done, there's 94 of that are at zero. But if I can empower a team together, even if they get them done at a seven or eight or nine, as long as they're not crucial tasks here, but there's something that will push the business plan forward, that is beneficial overall to you and other success around you.
1: I love, there's a theme I've been picking up on. You You talk team quite a bit. And as you were just saying that, I was sitting here thinking, number one, in a restaurant business, you are never going to be a solo person. Maybe, but it's very rare. Where we're at here up in South Dakota now, there'll be a few food trucks that show up. It's rare that there's just one person in a food truck. There's usually a couple of people even in food trucks because you just need extra people. So you're forced to it. And then I had this thought, I'll bring this up and then we're going to keep moving along. Is that there was never going to be a time when you were working with your dad that you were the guy in charge.
0: Am I correct? (laughs) You know what it is, is that definitely correct. I ran and made all the decisions. They did the work. However, it was just going to drive down that my dad had his vision of where he was going. Just like I said back to my grandma is that he would do it either. It was in part, but he knew best. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. However, this is how he had done it. And for us to come in there and say, don't do it that way, it it could be, you could take it as anyway, an insult or other, but it was a hard envisionment. But on the other side of it, he a very unique business. And here's where we had to be careful on our analysis is that he had over almost five decades of experience dealing with very unique things. These were not, we would deal with brick homes, concrete homes, stucco homes, wood frame homes built in the 1700s, homes built in yesterday, all different building styles, all different, and no one would know it better. The engineers would have issues. They'd be calling my dad because of just unique space. And one day to the next, we could be on such a unique product. And One day we're moving a the house. They were moving, we were moving a missile at one point. It was like, just like very things outside the box that if I was just looking the outside, like it's impossible. And my dad would know the solution, even if it didn't make logical sense. And where we would win is that, no, I was never going to lead the pack because that knowledge, it's very hard to take and especially today with the, where it is, and there's nothing you could Google to know these little inherent traits here and breaking that mold, even with something that's more efficient, it was to say, we have to look at the risk side, but no, I was never going to lead that charge, which at this point, right, we were all leading on our same path and where you had to come together understand understandable, we all want the same thing. And that's where sometimes you fall in conflict and you forget to realize that.
1: The thing that I'm observing just in our talk and in the things I did with research Is that many times when people go into real estate, they're usually single family home minded. And the reason they're single family home minded, there is a lot of single family homes. They may live in one, so they're familiar with it. But I think they're single family home minded primarily because they think they could do it all by themselves and they don't need to count on other people. And many times you can, we actually were able to scale. We were doing three to five single family homes a month when we were at our heyday because we put a team together, but I think the skill that I love hearing from you and I am hope the listeners picking up on is it's while you are super bright, talented, hard worker, all that kind of stuff, I don't pick up on anything that you're saying, I'm the boss in the hot sauce, I'm the man with the plan or anything like that. Everything is about team, which is important with the way you ended up going with multifamily syndications and things like that. Because I know with single family homes, a lot of people, they just try to use the financing funding all on their own. They never want to reach out and allow other people to participate. And so is that one thing, if I'm wrong, you could tell me, is that one thing that kind of helps you? Because I think y'all started doing a few single family homes, right? We did. And then moved quickly into multi and then now multi. Tell me if my observation (laughs) might be good or bad there.
0: No, it's spot on. It's great great to do single-family homes. And I have a lot of friends that do fantastic with it. And some do it all themselves. And and God bless, like that's their choice, right? And their reason. However, if your anticipation is to break free of this and have that business accomplish its similar goals without you, it's going to be a hard lesson learned somewhere around there. But if that's what you want to do, you like it, you don't see yourself ever stopping from doing your own, fine. Fantastic. That's a win for you. However, if you're looking to be able to maybe grow the business or do other points If you are going to be the sticking point on every little thing here. I have a friend that says it very well. He's like, you can't see the label because you're stuck inside the jar. Right. And so it's hard for you to see what's missing here because if you just step away, right. So like a good thing here, if you're like, man, that's me Write out to 10 of your friends, 10 of your other people and say, listen, I'm doing a little experiment right now. And I would love and just be candid with me. Tell me three things I do well and tell me three things I don't do well. And you will see very quickly the responses, maybe get two or three, but I, I still have one. I did this over maybe a decade ago. And a friend to me, she was like, you are magnificent. I'm pushing for, but sometimes you're trying to move all the mountains at the same time. And on that part, it meant I was doing all the work and it was like, everybody else is sitting there watching. I'm doing all the work, right? Cause I can get it done. But at some part, like going to level off. I'm going to fall. And when things break, I can't be putting my finger in all the holes in the wall where the leaks are here because I've now set my stage where everything is, falls upon me and I'm not helping other people. So in, in totality of that question there is that if your goal forward is to have a bigger impact, then you have to have an impact on others. And for you to be able to do that, you need, to, of course, to discipline yourself here. So you are doing what you say. But the more you can step back, like for instance, like we we managed a couple hundred units, right? We have some in town and and the office just having a super difficult time and trying to find these like silly brackets. Like just not a big deal. They were really focused on it, really trying to hard. It came in and can you just help it? I was like, sure, just call up the guy. I was like, listen, dude, like this over here, I understand you can't find this thing. If we ordered today, it's gonna be July 15th. What can you do today to fix this and make this work today? He's like, Oh, well, just do this. I was like, Thank you, go do it. And it was that point here where he just was trying to do what he thought we wanted and we weren't empowering him, the contractor, to just make the decision for what he knew how to do because he was trying to do what was by the book to do. Although the other part had no impact to buy the book or not, it was the result we needed today. And the team, just seeing that, I saw that didn't solve it, I didn't It's just something I've come up with in a part is that if you give people the opportunity to give you the result and you ask them the right question, many times, because they don't feel empowered to do so, you empower them, they'll find the result. And you knew the result. Great, thank you. I haven't heard about it again. So it's solved out there in the universe, right? But that's where as a leader, as someone who manages a team, you can come in there. You don't have to drive the decision, but when someone gets stuck, you can help them see that next step to the result. Because we usually look at the goal and forget that the goal is not accomplished in a leap, it's a step. And if we think about, okay, how can I help them to this step? Get over the speed bump, right? Just to that next part. Then they're higher up the hill, and then they're making bigger decisions to get the bigger outcomes.
1: That's the problem-solving skills that you got from your dad. It sounds like your dad was a problem solver, and sounds like you're now doing that with a team. Jason, I want to shift a little bit because I I think maybe we need to do some quick definitions before we have the conversations that we're going to go in in this direction. Because there's some people out there, when we use terms like private fund manager or single family or even multifamily or even mobile homes, land, all these th- all these terms in real estate. And so I want to do it real quick because I know we've got some experienced people listening in, but for the sure. person that might be listening going, "What is what do they mean by multifamily? What do they mean by yeah. private fund? Give a few definitions like, like you would to one of your kids for some of the terms we've been throwing around here. For someone that might be in third grade go. let me explain this to you. So do that quickly. And then I want to get some tips and some ideas on how someone might get started or participate in some of the things you're doing before we finish up here.
0: Fantastic. So typically a one unit, so a single family house or a house that or a building that has two units or three units or four units it's deemed residential, right? So it's residential in nature and then past five and up. If it's an apartment community or just five units and above, even though it's still residents living in a building, it's termed commercial. We found that Buying a single-family house, great model, right? However, it's one tenant, right? It's one person, it's one income stream, or it's one flip, it's one thing. It's one roof is now just that one tenant's income to get to that one part here. If that tenant doesn't pay, right, and then that part it's your income is now coming back to you. So the other people, the banks, other things going to be driven by you and your ability to afford it. The larger the building, you can actually afford to be able to take on more ability to improve it because now I have hundred units, right, and two vacancies. I'm ninety eight percent occupied. One unit, one vacancy, I'm zero. Four units, two units now, two units vacant, I'm 50%, right? 100 units, 10 vacants, 90% occupied. So my ability to have the rent afford to pay the expenses and pay the mortgage each every month and still provide cash flow goes up exponentially. Plus, small decisions I make for those buildings can have massive impact, right? So I'll give you an example. Single family home, right? I come in there and I replace the toilet and I say, okay, now the house costs 300,000 dollars more. There's not a buyer. <laughs> There's not a buyer, right? You're not, so, unless you've done something else there, not a buyer. However, 100 units, you replace the toilets, cuts the water bill down by 10%. You go in there and fix all the leaks. Your water bill now decreases by 20%. The overall value because of what you created for the cash flow, for the income on the property, may make that building and has made that building $300,000 more valuable. Right, So you can have different impacts on larger properties with more smaller, minor things that speak to the service of the building and the income and the expenses. What I do is that knowing that, instead of focusing on maybe a building we buy in-house, two unit, 10 unit, 15 unit, 20 unit, where it's just me and my capital, and then I have to do something and refinance it, I open up the opportunity to investors, both accredited investors and at points, people that are in my network, friends and family that could be sophisticated, to be able to come in there and invest alongside of us to help with the down payment, the closing costs, the fees and the construction budget to buy the buildings. That allows us to buy these 100 unit buildings where because of the size and the scope, it affords us more ability to get more profit and more cash flow that can benefit others. So we buy this building, it gets more efficient on the landscape for us. We're able to get more income, drive more, help on the expenses, improve the building, and then have investors who will invest with us that don't have to do anything. They can invest with us. They'll get their updates. They'll get their K-1s at the end of the year. They'll have every part answered and they're solely investing with us without having to do anything from finding a deal, sourcing a deal, underwriting deal, doing the due diligence, building the team, understanding how to structure it, find the bank, closing on the thing, working with the property manager. They do not have to do any of those responsibilities, but they get all the benefits that you can find from commercial real estate.
1: Hmm. And I think what you just did, you may have defined syndication without a lot of legalese, which is very good. Thank you, by the way. Correct. Yeah. And, syndication, and, that
0: it's a scary word because it just is a very odd word. Right. And you could syndicate radio stations. You can syndicate golf court. You can syndicate anything out there. However, we use the model to buy apartment buildings.
1: Right. And when you introduced yourself at the beginning, when I asked you what you do, you, meant, you went through the family things and you said you're a private fund Manager, and what that basic—that's another. You actually gave a definition of that just now, too. Do you want to tie in anything together with that
0: here? Sure. So what we do is we raise friend, uh, raise family money, or money from our network, or money from our new friends and family that most of the time are accredited. I mean, they make a certain amount of money each year for the last two years, whether single or married, or they have a net worth without their home, not including their home of over a million dollars. There's a few other things that could make them accredited there. Those investors are deemed likely to have the inherent knowledge to be able to invest in these. So they invest with us because they're able to understand and make a good decision on the investment. And then we use that to buy these big properties. And that thing is we offer a Reg D offering, which is something written in the tax code is something that the SEC has put forth here to do a security. And the security is not a registered security. It's a 506B or 506C. And that offering allows us to offer this to the network. So they can get the benefits that are sometimes hard to find if they were trying to go to a bigger company or do it by themselves.
1: So tell me why I've been around real estate circles too. And like I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of people that there, there are a lot of people that are interested in real estate. I'm sure you've run across this. A lot of people like to talk about real estate. Some people then step in and take some action, whatever that action might mean, get some training, get some education, or just start. And we've already said a lot of people do that with single-family homes. And in a little while, we'll talk more about how people can participate passively. But I think what I wanted to ask now is what prevents, what is the either real or perceived barriers that people have that keep them away from multifamily? And I really do want us to speak candidly. Listen. I know you're a big proponent of multifamily, but let's talk some real pros and cons. What is it that keeps people away from multifamily and maybe a a couple of things to address that?
0: Sure. Bigger and scarier, right? So that's simply put right there, single family house, you touched on it earlier. is a lot more approachable because people are used to that motor living in the house, right? They understand that, right? So they seem and deem that to be safe, right? But again, if you're doing a flip, there's no income until it's done and you have to hope the market's in your favor and the buying potential is there. And right. So if you found that a year ago and you're flipping something to take seven or eight months, you may have been on the other side of that investment here. With multifamily, we have a housing shortage, right? We've had this housing shortage for a long time. Developers got burned in 2007. They haven't been able to keep up with really building. And even if they do want to build because they know we need it today, there is not the ability to get product on at an affordable rate, there's not the labor pool, there's not the supply chain solved in a piece of puzzle, and it's very costly. So it's prohibitive. So we need housing. We're going to, we need 60 million units built this decade. We're going to get about 11 million short, 11 million, right? Maybe this year we might hit that threshold. We're still going to fall about 5 million units short, right? So that deemed that we need more affordable housing. So what that does is that means that it's going to put more downward pressure on the stock that already exists. So those units are going to stay in favor for longer. Now, couple that back with the single family space. Hey, I've been a renter for a decade. I'm going to go buy a house. A year and a half ago, you could have a $500, a $1,500 mortgage payment, get a house that's worth $350,000, where today that same mortgage payment gets you a house that's $230,000. Now, the difficulty there is that sounds great. Okay, I'll just go for a less expensive house. However, there was no $350,000 house available. And if you got it, you were one of 30, so the other 29 didn't get that house. Now all those houses have not come off their mile marks, 35% of value. They're still up there because there's not enough housing. So that buyer today can't get into the buyer pool. So they're going to stay renters for longer. They're not going to move as much because it's costly to move, right? So they're going to stay on this part of a multifamily side to stay in their apartment building for and stay renters for long. Now, multifamily versus single family. Single family, one renter, we're not. One flip, we're not. Whereas multifamily, right, there's many different reasons. You can get cash flow, you can get the appreciation, both basically, hopefully you're in the right market, but also based on the improvements you make to the property, you can get depreciation benefits, tax benefits, debt pay down, and the diversification with the economies of scale. So it's a hard asset class to beat. And that's why comparatively it's outperformed the stock market and the bond market on a rolling 10-year average going back, right? It's also outperformed everything, right? Office is easy one now when it used to be the state grade A asset, right? Retail, storage is outperformed and it's going to continue to outperform. There's all these drivers that push people to the space.
1: Hmm. So I want to, in just a little while, I'll ask maybe how somebody can get started. And I think actually you have some resources and all that might be good for that. But I think what I'd like to do now, the thing when I first saw your info that I'm like going, I love talking to people that have what I call boots on the ground, that we could learn about what the economy is really doing. And someone who has 3,000 plus units, that means you're dealing with 3,000 plus people, probably multiple markets. What I would love to do at this stage here is do a, let's go, not micro, but let's go macro. With what's happening in the economy. There's a lot of articles. I'm I get, I've got tags for all these real estate articles, economic articles, things like that. And I just had something recently that showed a foreclosure for a multifamily, which I haven't seen in a while, which just tells me it none of that stuff scares me, but that's okay. We're having some shifts that are going on. Maybe just in general, what are you seeing with the economy? And I, I may dig a little bit more, but What are you seeing? What's good, what's concerning and what can you share about
0: that? So we're always on two sides, right? It's either hard to find deals or hard to find money, right? It was very hard to find deals about two years ago for the years preceding, right? Very easy to find money. Everybody wanted money in there. Now it's very hard to find money and that's both on capital, right? And on banks, regardless of track record, just based on where they feel their risk is associated with, but it's easier to find deals. However, the deals are still at elevated prices the core thing to look at here is that recession doesn't speak to the entire country, right? It's not, oh, the news says we're in a recession. Everybody's in a recession. You're in the Dakotas, you're in a recession. I'm in Tennessee. I must be in a recession. My grandma's in New Jersey. She must be in a recession. The markets are exposed at different times. You have to look at what's going to either harden or soften the blow of what a recession can have and where potentially they are. So if you look at certain markets, like in Nashville, you have to think about all the people coming here, the reasons they're coming here, the jobs are coming here, where it can, compared to maybe Illinois, where you're seeing a lot of people leave the, the state where you'll see in housing values to pre- deteriorate, that's going to be more exposed to an economic uh, a recovery, right? And some of these areas that have really had a high value. Now within that market, you're going to have different areas that are exposed, right? 25,000 units coming on in Nashville. It's not coming on just completely spread out evenly. It's coming on in certain sectors of Nashville. So you have to see, okay, if we're in that area, what's going to be the impact to that area here? And then rates on the other side of it, no one really could predict that they go up there. But if that point the the elevation of what that rise would be for how long is something that's, I don't have the crystal ball. So I had to say, okay, this is what's in front of me today. How do I sustain what's in front of me today with the forecast that if it didn't change, what's the right decision for today? Now, if I can make that decision with a good buying decision for today, then if rates go the other way, okay, cool. Then they decrease. I I take value and get value out of that. But if they stay elevated, I'm making choices with long fixed-term debt, debt that's going to allow me to weather the storm for the near future.
1: And I agree with you. And some people want to paint this, especially the media. They want to either say economy good, economy bad. They, I think they're looking for headlines, truthfully is what it appears. sales. And I love that you brought it up that it is at the local level because a place like Nashville, people are flocking there. They're wanting housing. They're wanting to go out to restaurants and the economy is booming there. I just read an article about Los Angeles and Los Angeles, a little bit different story. Housing is horrible there. It's a challenge. But because of what's going on, I don't know if you and I would ever say, hey, let's go in and let's get some units there. I think if we could, we would, but it's too tough to do. So I- got to be like- your belief
0: in the market, right? Like New York City, like all New York City dead. It's like really for New York City to die, you really- got to think. You got to think about it. Like, you know, People are moving out of New York City. There's always an evolution of people that want to come to the city. You have everything, right? So people are getting out of college. That's where the best jobs are. People from out of the country, they're not saying, hey, let me go to Topeka, Kansas. They're like, I want to go to New York City. Like, so they're going to always have that part. So if you, two, three years ago, were like, hey, New York City's fine. It needs a break right now, but I'm going to come in and buy some apartment communities. I mean, rent's at its highest point there, right? For a reason, because people are going to come back there. So if you look at that, you, but California, way maybe they don't see their way out of that avenue. Who knows? It hasn't ever been a market for me. But people win in that market, too. It's just not the market for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, that people need housing there. But right. it, there's also other there's political situations and other things going on there, too. Something that almost always comes up, and I'm going to laugh when I even ask this question because it it's something that kind of annoys me, but I'm going to ask it anyway to maybe annoy you a little bit.
0: That takes a lot. You'll be good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I could tell. But when someone says something like, I don't think it's a good time to get started or invest or get some training, yeah. get some whatever the thing is, this is going back to your barber that we talked about earlier. When someone says something like that, what goes through Jason's mind?
0: There's always the best time and there's never the best time. And that's always the, the piece of the puzzle. Is that, yeah, it, yesterday would have been the best day, but today is better than the next day that comes up. And if you're waiting for some event, we are not well-informed enough to know when that event occurs. So if you're waiting for the market to bottom out, here's the evolution. Market rises is too hot, right? Oh, now the market's on a decline, so I'm not buying because it's, it's too hard to buy deals and the prices are too high. Now we're on a decline, oh, I'm just going to wait till it hits the bottom. Don't realize it hits the bottom. Now we're on the way back up. And now it's it's too hard to buy a deal. It's too hot and they're too high. Story continues. So that part is it's better to be involved today to be able to make good decisions for the future just so at least you can be informed. Because if you are waiting for some event, how are you going to know and what's going to be that through line? So if you're going to wait for it to bottom out, what is going to tell you now is the time? not Mm -hmm. your gut, not this other part, not watching Fox News or watching CNBC. Like what is going to tell you today that you're going to go buy and how are you know it's going to be for you the timing in the market to what type of investment to do? Yes, sure. You can always wait. That's how we've gotten to where we are today. Mm -hmm. However, if you want a different outcome, you have to take action today to understand the right questions to be asking to get the right answers when you need those answers.
1: Yeah, I love the analogy. I think when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Yep. second best time today that's good hey jason if someone is intrigued they're really interested or they just want more info about multifamily and what it might mean for them or how to get started or what next steps to take what where can they go give a few tips or resources sure. if you've got them that people can
0: We have check a ton out. yeah Yeah, we have a ton and we'd be happy to. Whether we can be a jump off or somewhere a point of reference, we'd be happy to. There's of course a million great podcasts I can offer and talk a lot with multifamily. If you just want multifamily, that's what we do. YarusiHoldings.com, Y-A-R-U-S-I Holdings.com. We have the Multifamily Live podcast and we host and run the Multifamily Mastermind called Seven Figure Multifamily, helping investors either buy their first apartment deal, small or large, or buy their next bigger deal, right? And we've done that for a number of years now. So we'd be happy to talk to you, answer any questions that a listener pool can get value from to keep pushing them forward there. But on that front, we're going to stay in that multifamily space and not to veer too far off here.
1: Yeah, I actually did. I did some power listening on that multifamily live podcast. And I think, gosh, a thousand episodes or something like that. Did I read that right? Do you have like- We've done a numbers?
0: couple. Yeah, we call the early ones the dark days, but in that front, we've yeah. done a couple there for sure. But the
1: cool thing is a lot of them are bite-sized, 15, 20 minutes and things like that, which for the guy here that does the one-hour interviews, I'm like going, man, I love these short tidbits, man. This is really good. So, all right, we'll make sure we include those links. and uh, And I do want to make sure that I ask this question because I do think there are people that are listening in that are thinking, what if I wanted to be a passive investor? What would I need sure. to do? And I think you mentioned Yerusi Holdings, but give someone a little bit of, so that we're not wasting people's time and all of that. What do you look for there? You mentioned accredited, and I think most sure. people should know what that means. Can they invest out of a self-directed, uh, self-funded 401k or something like that, IRA? To give a little bit of what you're looking for so that people would understand if they yeah. might be a match.
0: So, we want to be a value to investors. So, if you're looking to either just get exposure to real estate or really just diversify away from stocks and bonds, or you're just very busy making a lot of active income, we could be a good spot for you to help you with additional cash flow or some tax benefits or depreciation. We're looking for investors that are like minded with us, have the same vision. We're typically doing investments that are five to seven years, these are not quick flips. Here, they have some form of cash flow and some form of profit at the end, and they're looking to be able to get their exposure into the commercial real estate space. However, they don't have time, nor do they want to do the work. You can come learn about the space. We have a ton of stuff in the platform I just talked about to see potentially if this could be a good fit for you. This wouldn't be for someone who is working paycheck to paycheck, or just that capital needs to be more available. These aren't liquid investments here. But you're looking to get additional value from the money that you're making or putting aside right now that's in your investment bucket. But we will work with you to make sure that we align, right? And that the goal is identified, right? If we're doing the de- multifamily development, it's not going to be a cash flow place. So if you're looking to get cash flow to cover your expenses, we want to make sure you know that so you can choose to go with into maybe an apartment community that's existing with us that's going to have underlying cash flow from day one, right? So we want to help you partition your investments to meet your goals.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So that's good. Do they go to URUSI Holdings if they they're do. interested in it? Yeah, okay. they'll
0: go to URUSI Holdings. You'll see our investor portal. You'll see the projects that we've worked on in the past, the projects we have now currently under operation there. And they're welcome to email. Go to us. It's I'm easy. Jason at URUSI Holdings info. And we'll be able to get back to you, either myself or my team, to talk to you with more.
1: Perfect. We'll make sure we include all the links and everything so that people can click through and find you. Hey, Jason, cool conversation. I love I love talking this stuff. We are SEEK go create, those three words. I'm going to give you one of those that you can choose that resonates more than the other two. Tell me why. That's my final question. Seek, go, or create.
0: Sure. You have to seek to go to create, right? You have to understand that you don't, you're not where you are to get where you want to go, right? So you're going to seek that next stage outside of where you are. Because you, we go all day and many times we're not where we want and we're creating the outcome based on where we're going here that's not solidified because we haven't sought what we want and it's not the outcome we want. So you have to seek to get to that new level of where you want to go.
1: Very good. Jason, thank you. And I appreciate this conversation. Listen, if you've been thank listening Mary. in, one of the things I encourage you to do is jump over to the Multifamily Live podcast. You're, you're probably on a podcast player. You may be on YouTube or a clip here. Jump over to Multifamily Live. Subscribe, listen to, you could listen in the course of an hour or two, probably to about seven episodes is what I was able to do. So go check that out. And obviously if you're interested in getting some more resources, some training, just to kind of see if this might be something for you, go to, go to the website that was mentioned. And obviously if you're interested in some of the investing that they mentioned, check that out. I appreciate Jason. If you know thank someone you. that might be interested in this, share this episode. I believe that sharing episodes is the best way that people get exposed to podcasts. So Jason, thank you. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you. I want to remind everyone we have new episodes every Monday. We're on YouTube and all the podcast players. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.